And welcome to another Quarren stream. I am your host, Joe Magician. And today I thought we'd do something a little different. Although I think I say that just about every time. What we'll be doing today is talking about the opposite of Maester Aemon. Last week we got sad about Aemon. There were a lot of, there were not a dry, there was not a dry eye in the house. We were talking about the tragedy of his life, how he's affecting the current story, his relationship to magic and prophecy. But there's another character who is interested in all those things and very much wants to be the Aemon of the current story. And that is Marwyn the Mage, otherwise known as uh, Archmaester Marwyn of the Higher Mysteries. We barely meet him in the Song of Ice and Fire proper. He shows up in basically one chapter and then completely fucks off. We don't, we don't see him again uh, for A Dance with Dragons. He's mentioned a few times before that, but he's going to be an important character going forwards. He's largely a character that is um, in his own way, like trying to continue Eamon's legacy, but in his own strange way. <laughs> uh, don't worry, Amy, I, t I turned off all that stuff. It should be fine. All, all the uh, all, all the things are, are turned off. So I'll work on those later. Anyway, so kind of a bummer we lost Eamon, but it's, I think it's almost the next chapter. We go straight from Eamon to to Marwyn showing up in Sam's storyline in a in a feast for crows and there's a there's a particularly good quote here about him that I think G George uses to set him up pretty well we hear about him mostly for the first time in the feast for crows prologue before he shows up and it says when Marwyn had returned to Old Town after spending eight years in the east mapping distant lands searching for lost books and studying with warlocks and shadow binders Vinegar Valen had dubbed him Marwyn the Mage the name was soon all over Old Town to Valen's vast annoyance. Leave spells and prayers to priests and septons and bend your wits to learning truths a man could trust in. Archmaester Ryan had once counseled Pate, but Ryan's ring was ring and rod and mask were yellow gold, and his maester's chain had no link of Valyrian steel. Now that is an intro. That is an intro. That is from uh, Pate's perspective from the Feast for Crows before he dies to Jack in his hand. <laughs> Uh, so I thought a good place to start would be, wait, who the hell is Marwyn the Mage? If, if it's been a while since you read the books or you're a show only watcher, you may have never heard of him. He did not make it into the Game of Thrones adaptation. Uh, they, a lot of people thought he was going to be, but instead we got the, um, Ooh, what was his name? What was the name of the maester in the, the archmaester in the show? Archmaester... Ebros, we got Ebros, who was the Archmaester of Healing, I believe. Marwyn did not show up. Uh, yeah, we got two intros so far in this stream. Things are going great. Broke two glasses. <laughs> An automatic moderator <laughs> took out somebody. Uh, gotta love it. Uh, so who is he? Well, as I said before, he is the Archmaester of the Higher Citadel, of the Higher Mysteries at the Citadel. He has his rod and ring and mask made of Valyrian steel. That very, very rare metal that seems to be so important to the ends game of the of the Song of Ice and Fire. Marwyn just has it for wearing kind of a cool stuff. I think a lot of people, especially those that like watch my channel, would be like, oh, yeah, I would want the I would want stuff I made out of Valyrian Seal. Not only is it cool, but it marks you as somebody that's into the weird and the arcane parts of the story. Uh, the higher mysteries themselves are just those things. It deals primarily with prophecy, but also magic and largely the supernatural. 
whereas the other the other um, studies within the Citadel are more um, I'm not sure the right word is grounded earthly. Like there's one for economics, there's one for math, there's one for Warcraft, there's one not not World of Warcraft. There is no there's no Archmaster of World of Warcraft. Although maybe there should be um, all sorts of any kind of subject of study you can think of. There's there's somebody in the Citadel that's studying it, but all the world of magic and dragons and all that stuff get wrapped up in the one Archmaster, the Archmaster of Higher Mysteries. Um, we also learned from Maester Lewin, who has a Valyrian steel link himself, that only one Maester in a thousand has even a link of Valyrian steel for the Higher Mysteries. Um, part of it could be that, like, Valyrian steel is hard to come by, so maybe they're quite, um, they hold back the links they give out because they don't have a lot of it. But the implication that we learned from Marwyn, that we learned from at Feast for Crows, is that it's not that it's it's a rare metal to make into a Valyrian steel link. Um, it's just that most maesters don't pursue the higher mysteries. They don't care about magic. They don't care about prophecies. They don't care about any of these things. Oh, uh, oh, uh, PayPal here from Amy, Amy Blackfire. She said $30. Thank you, Amy. Uh, thanks for saving me from the bot. Great topic. Looking forward to it. Also got one from Danny McKay. He says, Eamon's stream was awesome. Well done. Thank you very much, Danny. And there was one I missed uh, from after the the Maester stream. Um, I'm not sure if I read this during it, but it was uh, $20 from Reflective Rambling. And she said, just taking a chance to support great content when I can. Wish I could be a patron one day. Who knows? Uh, if you want to support me, obviously, there's patreon.com slash Joe Magician. There's links to PayPal donations down in the description. Or you could send in super chats, that kind of thing. Um, and as I normally say, uh, if we get to 150 likes, I'll put on my wizard hat and I have a new one on the way. Get ready for that one. Uh, 175, I'll put on my Gurm hat, which is sitting right behind me. And 200, last time I gave away a shirt. Oh, I haven't done that. Uh, I meant to, I'm going to announce that now. So for the Amen stream, I said that to, we got to 200 likes, which I was very grateful for. And that somebody in the comments that said what their favorite Amen quote was, I'll give a shirt away to. I went through before the stream started. And it's Jay Moray. They're usually here for the streams themselves. If they're not, if you're watching this back, uh, Jay, I'm going to. Oh, there you are. Um, I'll DM me somewhere. I'll um, we'll figure out how to get you one from my threadless shop. So congratulations, Jay. Way to go. You have won a Joe Magician shirt. But yeah, slam that like button. 140 watching 71 likes. Those are rookie numbers. You got to got to pump those up for the sweet, sweet hats. Um, Lucky you were here, though, Jay. <laughs> I was going to reply to your comment and uh, say, here you go. But here we go. Um, so, yeah, like I was saying before I, I got sidetracked right there, um, it's seen within the Citadel itself and for most of the other Archmaesters that the Higher Mysteries is kind of a um, not a great field of study, not one that most acolytes or most, most Maesters will ever try and get during their lives. Um, and the reason is... Marwin thinks it's a conspiracy. We'll get to the Maester conspiracy later. But we see a lot of acolytes uh, during the Feast for Crows um, prologue. We also hear from a lot of other Maesters throughout the story. And it's it's largely seen as it's a, a much less practical pursuit uh, for Maesters to go after the higher mysteries. Most of them just kind of want to learn their craft to become a lordly Maester. They want to go to a castle they want to be of service to a great lord and his family. They want to be able to heal wounds. They want to be able to advise people with their help. And they 
And part of that life is making sure you're useful. Therefore, you get sent out. Um, yeah, you, you can know tons about dragon lore. You can know a lot about how, uh, how prophecies work. But somebody comes in with a big gaping wound on your arm. That ain't going to help so much. So quite a lot of maesters, um, quite a lot of maesters don't don't pursue it at all. Or if they do, it's the kind of maesters that stay at the Citadel their whole lives and never go out to be uh, castle maesters, as it were. Uh, and there's a there's a there's a little bit of a hint to this other than what Marwin says. And we're going to talk about Marwin a lot more. But Eamon sort of says a similar thing where as he was dying on the cinnamon wind, he expresses that he sent tons of letters back to the Citadel about prophecy and the others and the prince that was promised the return of the dragons. And apparently they largely got ignored. Um, so that kind of lines up. Quite a lot of the maesters don't even pursue it. They don't care. Mace Eamon's kind of this weird guy on the wall talking about the prince that was promised, but never really came up. So this is one of those things I think that's really funny about um, Archmaester Marwin. He is the Archmaester of Higher Mysteries, but he probably didn't have a lot of um, a lot of competition for the job. Most maesters don't even have one link of Illyrian steel, never mind Marwin, who probably has multiple of them and has spent his whole life um his whole life studying it it seems like a good call from the chat roger murphy says alistair crowley vibes from marwin that's probably that's probably right on the money that might be the uh the implication that george was going for although at least in like size and appearance maybe not demeanor but you never know crowley was a weird dude so that's kind of setting it up for marwin's role within the citadel uh we know honestly very very little about him as a character uh we mostly just get descriptions of his appearance and his personality and a few tales of what he's done in his life. Um, unlike lazy Leo Tyrell, who walks around with the colors of his house on at all times, uh, <laughs> no such luck with Marwin. Uh, he does not wear even a maester's rope. He wears a leather jerkin. Wow, Marwin, you're such an outsider. You're not wearing the regular robes of the other maesters. It's kind of like he's wearing like a leather jacket. Um, instead, instead of a suit as a professor or something like that, it's, um, yeah, he's, uh, he really, really wants to be an outsider and he lives that life. We know that Marwin is nicknamed the Mastiff within the Citadel. If you've never heard of a Mastiff, a Mastiff is essentially a very large dog. There's an entire Mastiff family. It's like St. Bernard's dogs of that size. So some have taken this to be like, oh, well, maybe this is a hint to who Archmaester Marwin really is. Like, is he a Clegane? Is he maybe is he related to the dog, the Doggett family? There's other characters described as dogs like uh, Rorge. And then there's Art Harmer Dog's Head beyond the wall who cuts off a dog's head every week to put on her pole because she's so cool. That's really all we have to go on um, for for like any kind of hints about his family. I saw early on before the chat started while I was breaking glass. Um, not a joke. I did break glass that uh, Crowfood's daughter was talking about different families he might be related to. There's all sorts of theories about who Marwin actually is. There's really not a ton to go on. Uh, we have a description here. This is from Samuel Tarley in the Feast for Crows chapter when he first meets him. He says, Marwin wore a chain of many medals around his bull's neck. Save for that, he looked more like a dockside thug than a maester. His head was too big for his body and the weight thrust forward from his shoulders together with that slab of jaw made him look like he was about to tear off someone's head. 
Though short and squat, he was heavy in the chest and shoulders with a round, rock-hard ale belly. Don't know how you have a rock-hard ale belly. Uh, straying at the laces of his leather jerkin that he wore in place of his robes. Bristly white hair spouted from his ears and nostrils. His brow beetled. His nose had been broken more than once. And Sourleaf had stained his teeth a mottled red. He had the biggest hands that Sam had ever seen. So this is a character that looks is nothing like any maester that we see in the story so far. George is really playing it up that Marwyn is a different sort of dude. Nothing like Lewin, nothing like Eamon, Cresson, um, any of the others that we have met, Pycelle. He wouldn't. He really would not look out of place if he was a soldier on the wall, if he was a Night's Watch brother, if he was in service to some lord. He's. He looks like he should be like a pit fighter. He looks like he should be a knight of some kind. Uh, oh, my PayPal link isn't in there. Um, hang on a second. Let me grab that for you. Thought I put it on there. Sorry about that. Oh, it isn't. Oh, what the hell? Uh, I thought I did put it on there. Well, that is just unfortunate. Um, um, well, anyway, this is this is the link itself to the PayPal. If you guys want to send it that way, um, they take a large, a smaller cut of the money you guys send in. I don't really I don't really care either way. Do what you want to do. Uh, yeah, people in the chat are talking about how he's like Indiana Jones. Um, there is some merit to that. Uh, I talked about that in a, in a little bit. Um, he is quite huge. He is. It's said that he may have killed a person, that he broke his nose from getting into scuffles. A very uh, strange, strange maester, as it were. Uh, we know that some of the descriptions we get of him is that he goes down to the temples by the wharves in order to sacrifice to queer gods. He's the kind of character that is very, very different in terms of the company he keeps. While a lot of the maesters are kind of elitist and really stick to their libraries and their studies, staying in their maesters chambers at the castles, Marwin does very much the opposite. Um, he lives honestly almost like somebody that was maybe a criminal or smuggler or common folk before he became a maester. He does not really feel like he was a lord's son like Samwell or Leo Tyrell. Uh, it says that he's known to go to the wharfs, the dive bars, basically the undercity. Um, so that would be kind of like in a Marine when Quentin goes to meet the tattered prince, that kind of bar, that crazy bar that he goes into. Uh, he goes into all the brothels, which obviously you're not supposed to do as a maester. He knows all the mummers and singers in the in the city. He knows all the swords and the beggars. OK, <laughs> hang on a second. OK, I'll, I'll just pin this. Can I do that? Uh, $5 super chat from history of Westeros. Get that PayPal link up or we all steal your hat. All right. All right. It's up. It's up. It's there as ease. And uh, or I say it's probably as ease, but I don't really I don't really know. Both of you guys run it. Nope. That is not the message I meant to pin. I'm having all sorts of problems today. I don't really know what's going on. Um, not trying to pin the message from Mace. Easter Sen. <laughs> the seed is strong. <laughs> not the one I meant to grab. Uh, let me just add it quickly to the description of now. I'm not, screw it. I'm just going to do it later. I'm just going to put this in the mod chat and if anybody needs it. You guys can link it. There we go. OK, um, so it's implied that Marwin grew up with these sorts of people and that he knows them well, and he's rather uncomfortable in uh, lordly society. Yeah. I, why is what's going on today? Why isn't that thing unpinning? Stop it. Well, there you go. Maester Zanier. You're pinned to the top of the live stream because I can't make it go away. Unpin message. Hang on, I'm going to open. I'm going to open this again. Maybe I can get rid of it. Um, message unpinned. I did it. I got there. Um, uh, the way that he interacts with the with the people of the underbelly of the of the um, old town society reminds me quite a lot of 
Davos Seaworth, uh, Varys, and Nimble Dick. And these are all characters that were commoners who have risen high in lordly society. So that would be my guess for where he comes from. He lived rough and tumble growing up and became a maester and rose high because he um, because of his clearly quite uh, quite powerful intellect, but also the fact that he's not afraid of going out into the world. He's not afraid of going out and and researching things himself. He's not afraid of going to places where other maesters would not go. And that gets to the idea that he's kind of like um, he's kind of like Indiana Jones. He's not a maester that has spent his entire life in the Citadel studying like quite a lot of them are. Uh, we know that Archmaester Marwin has traveled far and wide across the world. Uh, the first one we know about is he spent eight years abroad in Essos, just out there learning things and meeting people and trying to understand the world in a way that other <laughs> other maesters really don't. Uh, there's the famous quote from the show where Eamon and Samuel are talking about a maester that wrote a, a book on the wildlings. And Samuel's like, oh, my God, listen to all these horrible things. And Eamon says basically like the furthest he got, the furthest that maester got beyond the wall was this library. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Maester Marwin is really not that person. The most famous part of his trek is that he made it all the way to a shy. There are not many characters in this story that have made it to a shy and come back. And Archmaester Marwin is one of them. He's the one that has confirmed for um, that confirmed that there are no children and that there are no animals in a shy. And the weirdest part of this whole journey for him going to a shy, a shy by the shadow, as far as you can get from Westeros that we know about, is that while he was there, Archmaester Marwin was teaching people how to how to do things. And one of them was the infamous Miri Mazdor. Miri Mazdor was one of his students while he was in a shy. He taught her how to heal people as well as how to speak the common tongue. So all the reasons that Danny ended up, quote unquote, saving her from the sack of the um, the Lazarine town from the Dothraki is because Miri Mazdor met and learned from Archmaester Marwin. Now, that is that is a crazy coincidence if I ever heard one. And it makes conspiracy minded folks in the community just like go nuts when they hear about it. Uh, the quote here is uh, this is from Miri. She says, my mother was God's wife before me and taught me all the songs and spells most pleasing, most pleasing to the great shepherd and how to make the sacred smokes and ointments from loof from leaf and root and berry. When I was younger and more fair, I went in caravan to a shy by the shadow to learn from their mages ships from many lands come to a shy. So I lingered long to study the healing ways of distant peoples. A moon singer of the Jogos Nye gifted me with her birthing songs. A woman of your own riding people taught me the magics of the grass and corn and horse. And a maester from the sunset lands opened up a body for me and showed me all the secrets that hide beneath the skin. Sir Jorah Mormont spoke up. A maester? Marwin, he named himself, the woman replied in the common tongue. From the sea, beyond the sea, the seven lands, he said, sunset lands, where men are iron and dragons rule, he taught me the speech. A maester and a shy? Sir Jorah mused, tell me, God's wife, what did this Marwin wear about his neck? I tamed a chain so tight it was like to choke him, Iron Lord, with links of many metals. The knight looked at Danny. Only a man trained in a citadel of Old Town wears such a chain, he said, and such men do know much of healing. So this is the first introduction we get to Marwin the Mage all the way back in a Game of Thrones. It kind of reminds myself and other readers of the treatment that Euron Greyjoy gets, where he's mentioned early on in the books, just kind of in passing before he finally shows up in A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons. 
same kind of treatment here. It's the coincidence, though, that Miri Mazdor met met Daenerys and Marwyn of all the people in the world is is very strange. Um, Don't really know what's going on there. Don't know what George is doing with that. There's all again, there's all sorts of theories about it. I have heard theories that Marwyn is communicating with Miri the whole time. He's been organizing everything going on in Essos. I I don't know about that one, but it is certainly interesting. But the one thing about Marwyn's time in Ashai that I never hear people talk about, and I think is maybe the most interesting for uh, the Winds of Winter, it's that it's very possible that Marwyn the Mage knows Melisandre of Ashai, that they may have met each other. Melisandre is a shadowbinder. She learned her craft in Ashai as well. Uh, it's very possible that these two have crossed paths before, and they may do so in the future. You know, kind of put a pin on that in the back of your head that if there's anybody in the story, that may know the history of Melisandre, what she looks like beneath her glamour, what she's really like. Marwyn is one of the characters that has a real possibility of knowing that. Almost nobody else does, except for maybe uh, Makoro. Yeah, let me be. It is quite a coincidence that all that those three characters cro- uh, cross paths. But yeah, look out for Marwyn and Melisandre. If they ever meet, I imagine if they were there at the same time, and they very well may, Melisandre's pretty old at least uh, from what we understand. So quite possible they know each other or they know of each other. Uh, yes, also true. Um, uh, Disputed lands, Amanda in the chat, Quaith and Melisandre might know each other. Yeah, that's the other one. Marwin might know Quaith, which would be interesting. Oh, a uh, PayPal donation from Amira. Uh, thank you very much, Amir. Very generous of you. I try not to read people's last names. I try not to dox them anymore. Uh, yes, Julie Beth Stiles is on the, is on the coincidence uh, but Makoro, Miri, Marwin, they all start with M. They're all connected. This is a, this is going to be a running theme in this stream that um, Marwin the Mage is intimately involved with quite a lot of conspiracies in the story. And a lot of a lot of conspiracies, theories that people have come up about A Song of Ice and Fire very much involve Marwin himself because of the things he says. Uh, another thing that we know about Marwin before he shows up on the page is that let's see here. Uh, he knows how to speak Ibanese and the Summer Islander. The uh, the Summer Islander part isn't really that impressive. We know that quite a lot of people know Summer Islander. They go all over the place. They trade quite a lot. We even know, we even meet earlier in the chapter where Marwyn is introduced that one of um, Lord Leighton's Hightower's sons knows Summer Islander from his, times at, from his time trying to train to be a maester before he gave it up. The Ibanese part is a little strange, though. Um... The knowing Ibanese is a much rarer trait. Uh, we do know that the, the the trading ships of Ib do go to Westeros. There, there's one in King's Landing at one point in the story, but that Marwyn knows it fluently that he can talk to the Ibanese traders kind of indicates that he didn't just go to a shy, that he may have gone to the port of Ib itself um, and that he may know more languages. He may be kind of a world traveler kind of figure knowing a lot more than he lets on. We really don't know much about him. So there's a lot of groundwork putting in here by George to make it so that Marwin could be um, kind of like a Masande like character in terms of all the different languages and peoples he might know. Uh, the other thing that we really know about Marwin is that he, he, we, we, I talked about a little bit earlier, kind of like the Indiana Jones aspect of it. But one thing that Marwin's really passionate about is he likes trying to find rare and lost books. Uh, we hear about him at first, and in of all places, the chapter of the Kraken's daughter. Uh, Roderick Harlaw, when Asha Greyjoy shows back up, 
to talk to her nuncle, as she calls him. Gotta love that nuncling. Uh, Roderick is reading a book called The Book of Lost Books, penned by Archmaester Marwyn. Inside this book, Marwyn has essentially listed all the cool and interesting books about the higher mysteries that have been lost to time and what's known about them, what was in them, where they may have gone. And Harlaw himself makes a very interesting point. He says that Marwyn claims to have found three pages of the legendary book Signs Importance. I talked about this in different videos, uh, especially the Amen the Dreamer one and the Pyres and Blood video. But Signs Important is a hugely important book within A Song of Ice and Fire itself, an in-lore book. This is the book that has records of the dreams of Danis the Dreamer. If you don't remember Danis the Dreamer, she is the member of House Targaryen that got him to, to abandon the freehold by convincing her father, Aenar, that essentially the doom of Illyria was coming. They up and left Illyria and sailed to Westeros to establish themselves on Dragonstone. So this is one of those characters, much like Darren the Drunkard, who seems to be a legitimate prophet, prophet within the world, that her dragon dreams likely are true. So if you've read three pages of Signs Importance, like Marwyn claims to have, well, that's very, very interesting for the story and what's going forwards. And it actually impresses Roger Carlaw. He's like, wow, really? He found three pages of that book? There may only be one or two copies ever made. And Marwin says he's found three pages. That is quite something. Um, yes, unrelated, but Uncle Dave Zilla says Kyburn is definitely a Marwin fan. Definitely. Kyburn's one of his acolytes out in the world. Um, so other books that may be in the Book of Lost Books that Marwin probably has his eye open for. Um, the obvious one is Dragon Worms and Wyverns. They're a natural history by Septon Barth. That's the one that King Baylor burned, ordered burned, but it doesn't seem like he got all of them, but um, Tyrion and Marwyn are likely on the ch on the chase of it. Uh, another one would probably be The Fires of the Freehold by Galindro, another lost book about Valyrians and dragons. Uh, Blood and Fire is an another good one. And then also Dragonkin by Maester Thilmax and possibly the Jade Compendium. If some of these books sound familiar, it's because Aemon has some of these books and they're waiting on the cinnamon win when Sam shows up. So the treasure trove that the cinnamon wind is like, oh, we're going to sell all these books to the Citadel and that's how we'll make our money for your passage. Well, a lot of the <laughs> these are probably all going to be sold to Marwyn when he gets on the cinnamon wind. Um, the interesting thing here about Marwyn, though, is that, again, unlike other maesters who just kind of like search libraries and they try to find hints in other works, they're referencing them to cross reference to figure out what's, ac what's exactly in these stories. Marwyn takes it upon himself to go out into the world and try and find them and also to fact check the higher mysteries that he finds. His journeys through, um, through Essos to Ashai, all these sort of things paint the picture of somebody that very much values his personal experience in validating if things were real. And there's also another connection here that I find very interesting. And that is, as I said earlier, Eamon sent tons of letters back to the Citadel talking about his studies into prophecy magic the others, all these kind of things. And they didn't, they never really got answered. Eamon laments basically that they thought he must have been crazy. Well, if there's somebody at the Citadel that got those letters, it's probably Marwin. He probably has them sitting in his desk in his, uh, in his room at the Citadel. And as Sam is in the Citadel into the winds of winter, he may discover some of these. They are probably right there. <laughs> Nobody else seems that interested except Marwin. And he's the Archmaster of the Higher Mystery. So very likely that that is where those ended up. Intriguing, though, that Marwyn doesn't seem to have answered. 
He did not send letters back to Eamon as far as we know. So he was kind of like just like harvesting for information, which is interesting. And we'll get back to that one later. Hang on a second. I'm going to change. Let me center myself a little bit better. Uh, Gray Waste Tim says, I wonder if Howden Halfmaster was another acolyte under Marwin. He never earned his chain either. Very possible. I imagine a lot of Marwin's acolytes do not stay in the Citadel with the uh, total disdain he has for the for the maesters themselves. I, I, I really imagine it's very, very common that uh, people start going down the, the, uh, the higher mysteries and then get disillusioned because Marwin's their teacher and he thinks the whole thing's stupid and then they either give it up or leave the Citadel. A question here we got from Patreon, uh, Grey Waste Tim. He said, Marwin spent eight years in East mapping distant lands and searching for lost books. We know he got as far east as a shy. Is it possible that he maybe mapped out other regions in the Far East, perhaps visiting the more Lovecraftian-inspired cities, or even areas past Masovi and the Grey Waste where the map cuts off? Uh, it's very possible that Marwin was essentially following the voyages of Corlys Velaryon. So I would guess that that was the guide he was using for where he was going. So the map has not extended past Corlys's voyages, though. That's ba- that wherever he went is basically where they stopped. So Marwin may have refined the maps and confirmed what uh, Corlys reported back. But I don't think he went out and fired more places. Um, isn't it hat time? No, we're uh, 108 likes need 150 likes to, for me to put on a cool hat. Close though, Stephanie Frederick with 185 people watching. Um, but I w- yeah, I would guess that um, anywhere that's on the map he may have visited. But if we're looking about the languages he knows and the people he interacts with, a shy to Ib is probably as far as he went. But good question. Uh, let's see here. Were there any other patron questions that were about what we've covered so far? <laughs> yes. Yeah, slam that like button, people. Slam it like your heart depended on it or your life depended on it. Why would your heart depend on it? What am I saying? This is a weird day. Okay, so oh, we're going to get to that stuff now. All right, so I've been kind of talking a bit about how Marwin's an outsider, how he thinks the rest of the Citadel are basically shitheads, um, that he doesn't like any of them, they don't like him. And this comes to pass in a, um, in a particular way that, as I said, has fueled a thousand uh, conspiracy theories within the fandom, and that is, of course... The Grand Maester Conspiracy, or the Maester Conspiracy as it's known. Um, we learn from Lazy Leo Tyrell in the Feast for Crows prologue that Marwin's a nickname for his colleagues is he calls them the Grey Sheep. <laughs> uh, if that sounds familiar, I'm pretty sure George is channeling some modern lingo there that he's picked up, where quite a lot of real-life conspiracy theorists in the world call regular people that like follow science and logic and all that things they call them quote-unquote sheeple so that should be a big big red warning sign as we go into learning about what marwin thinks and his perception of the citadel and their goals as an organization that george is telling us that marwin thinks like a conspiracy theorist from the real world so you know keep that in mind He essentially calls everyone around him sheeple. Punch the like button. You're a Targaryen. I, I guess you can you can punch it if you want. I mean, punching your mouse doesn't seem like a great thing. But uh, yeah, no, Marwin is not like Bernie Sanders. Um, maybe closer to like Alex Jones, to be honest. They both are kind of short, stocky guys with lots of muscle. <gasps> I may have cracked it. So, we're yeah, we're going to talk about his credibility, Guilty Undertaker. But yeah, keep, keep that in mind as we're going into this. So one of the introductions the Marwin we got here is that he considers himself dangerous. Uh, 
that he thinks that the Citadel is out to get him, that the Maesters are out to get him. So here's the quote. Samuel's asking him as Mormon's about to leave, like, wait, what do I tell the Seneschal? What do I tell the rest of the Maesters? Like, how do I deal with this? This is Marwan's advice. He says, tell them how wise and good they are. Tell them that Aemon commanded you to put yourself into their hands. Tell them you've always dreamed that one day you might be allowed to wear the chain and serve the greater good. That service is the highest honor and obedience is the highest virtue. But say nothing of prophecies and dragons unless you fancy poison in your porridge. Marwin snatched a stained leather cloak off a peg near the door and held, and tied it tight. Sphinx, look after this one and then leaves. <laughs> What's the jade helm? <laughs> what are you talking about? By the way. Is it Aziz or Ashe that's talking? I'm guessing Aziz. I just want to know which one I'm, uh, one I'm addressing. So Marwin's quote there is basically saying <laughs> that he feels like the Citadel is constantly trying to kill him for his dangerous knowledge of prophecy and magic. Um, although I do think you have to take this whole speech with a grain of salt. And that is that's, that Marwin is trying to get Sam to stop telling the other maesters what he knows about Aemon and the wall and all the things he just told himself and Anna Sorella or Alaris. It's Sorella. It's Sorella Sand. But anyway, um, he's trying to make sure that he keeps all the information he has to himself, including the fact that Marwin is just about to book it to Essos to find Danny. So he may be exaggerating a little bit to scare Sam. But even still, that's a crazy thing to say that the... <laughs> That Marwin, like, does he have a food taster? He feels like he's constantly about to die, that there's poison in his food, that the everyone's out to get him. It's like that is a that is a not normal thing to think, unless, of course, they are actually out to get him, in which case, you know, maybe he's right. But it seems like way over the top. And that's the other part of this is that um, because obviously uh, Marwin has access to a glass candle, he knew Sam was coming. So he sent Sorella down to stop Sam from meeting the Seneschal and telling him everything he knows and from selling the books and delivering Eamon's body. He's essentially he's essentially trying to cut off Sam and the rest of the Citadel from the information he's about to get. So that is a big caveat with a lot of this information. Um, okay, something just fell off. Some paperwork just fell off tax information. Cool, cool, cool. I guess the wind has picked up. Um, and then this is less about him is that he goes on to claim that Aemon was left at the wall instead of being made the Archmaster of the Higher Mysteries. And yes, again, Marwin probably has Aemon's letters, so he knows what's in them because he is dangerous and he's a Targaryen in the Citadel. Cannot have Targaryens. They cannot have, cannot be trusted. By the way, Vagan Targaryen, the Archmaster <laughs> and son of Jaehaerys Targaryen says hello. Um, so that is... That is really that is really out there that essentially Marwin's being like they're against anyone that loves this kind of stuff. And this is the uh, this is the quote. It says, if I tell you, they may need to kill you, too. Marwin smiled a ghastly smile, the juice of the sour leaf running between his teeth. Who do you think killed all the dragons the last time around? Gallant dragon slayers armed with swords. He spat the world. The Citadel's building has no place in it for sorcery or prophecy or glass candles, much less for dragons. Ask yourself why Aemon Targaryen was allowed to waste his life upon the wall when by rights he should have been raised to Archmaester. His blood was why he could not be trusted no more than I can. Okay, so big problem with this logic. Big, big, big problem with this logic. Who's saying this? Archmaester Marwyn. This is not Acolyte Marwyn. This is not a exiled Marwyn the Mage 
who's like hang out in bars and not a part of the citadel and he's trying to like lure people to his side or anything like that the maesters and the other archmaesters have decided that art that marwin should join one of the highest ranks you can possibly have within the citadel like if they're really trying to suppress you marwin if they're really trying to make sure that you don't know anything to suppress your knowledge uh, that they don't trust you they're trying to kill you making you an archmaester is like the opposite of that they are rewarding him for his scholarship and the knowledge he has uh, contributed to the organization and he's one of the archmaesters at this point like clearly he would be in on the inside of whatever kind of conspiracy the citadel um would be trying to do here so like hey pump the brakes on everybody's out to get you marwin they probably aren't um so yeah he's off there and the other part of it is that he, he goes on to claim that i mean the part about how aemon's being left out of the the citadel because he's a targaryen aemon's at the wall because he wants to be at the wall that was his choice when egg was named king when blood raven went to the wall aemon said i will go and i will take vows to be there and as we know about uh, a lot of his views on prophecy and the end of the world and all these kind of things, it's very likely that decision was informed by the fact that he wanted to be in a position to help when the others arrived, which he thought was happening soon. Um, and then afterwards, after the death of the rest of the Targaryen family through the Summer Hall and Robert's Rebellion, that Aemon largely viewed it as kind of like a penance for himself, that he, the Targaryens are gone, he failed them, but, you know, this is now how he's going to make up for it by staying at the wall and helping out. But Marwin has a totally different, different understanding of this. It's like, I am sure that there are some, uh, some of the archmaesters that were like, well, Eamon's been up on the wall all this time on his own. Who knows what he thinks? But like, that's not the reason he's still there. <laughs> and somehow Mar Marwin has essentially like grafted his own feelings of being an outsider onto Eamon. But again, this is undercut by the fact that Marwin, the dangerous one, the one who can't be trusted, the one who everybody's trying to kill they raised to being an archmaester so like don't really know what he's going on about um he, there's a lot of conspiratorial thought in his brain basically that's what i'm trying to get at here <laughs> he's a very smart character he obviously has a lot of knowledge he has a lot of real world knowledge seen quite a lot of things across the world but this particular part the part that usually fuels the maester conspiracy is like hang on a second <laughs> hang on a second marwin um is he like a, a professor with tenure like kind of i guess i don't know if you can be kicked out of the citadel like that but he's definitely not like somebody sitting like somebody sent to the end of the world to, to get out of the way they have elevated him to the most powerful positions they can outside of being um the grandmaster basically that's the only that's the next step up for him being grandmaster to the king so like come on man <laughs> maybe maybe rein it back in a little bit um okay so with that in mind let's talk about the maester conspiracy that um marwin essentially just laid out so there's two sources on it there's obviously um marwin like we just talked about the other one is lady barbary dustin this happens in the theon chapters <clears throat> the larger conspiracy as an outline goes like this that as soon as the targaryens landed in westeros and began their conquest that the that the maesters have been waging a secret war um hang on a second they have been waging a secret war to destroy the Targaryens and their dragons. But it goes even further than that. Um, there's a belief that the purpose of the Citadel itself and its current mission as a group 
is to stop the proliferation of magic across the world, to suppress all knowledge of it, to make people believe it doesn't exist, and to kind of like hoard it for themselves. Uh, the, the origin story of the Citadel is that Paramore the Twisted, a crippled son of King Uthor Hightower, made a Citadel as a place of learning thousands of years in the past. Uh, actually, Amanda or Crowfoot daughter in the chat had a really great thread on this yesterday talking about the origins of the chain and how it likely links to the fact that Paramore's pets may have been slaves, much in the same way that um, the, um, the slavers of Slayer's Bay, they essentially value the most highly knowledgeable uh, slaves that they have and that they essentially make them into like a higher class sort of. So a really interesting thread. Um, let me see if I can grab the link for it. Um, I'm going to put this one in chat. If you guys want to check that out, she did a really good job. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, excellent, excellent look at the origin of the Maesters. But one of the things that comes out of the founding of the Citadel and the Maesters is that they did outlaw some um, studies within the world of the higher mysteries. In particular, if you go to the Citadel, you are forbidden from studying, um, from necrom studying necromancy and you're not allowed to open up the bodies of the living. You're not allowed to vivisect living specimens in order to figure out the inner workings of a person. That's the thing that got Kyburn thrown out of the Citadel is he was cutting open living victims basically to try and learn how their bodies work. Because obviously there's no x-rays, there's no MRIs, you can't look through the skin. So he was killing people to learn how their bodies worked. So there is definitely an idea within the Citadel that there is a forbidden knowledge there are things you cannot study there um again hey kyburn how you doing he did the things you're not supposed to robert strong appears to be an experiment in necromancy so he's doing all the things you're not supposed to the Mesa conspiracy goes on to say that the, the long dwindling of magic in westeros is proposed to be the fault of the maesters but in particular they have been trying to kill the dragons ever since uh aegon landed we see this is also backed up by the fact that many books in universe written by maesters doubt the fight, the fantastical side of the world ever existed or is real in basically any sense. And it's almost kind of like a running joke. Anytime someone like tries to refute something with knowledge that's like fantastical in some way, it's almost always a maester that's writing the uh, well, actually, I, I'm very skeptical about this subject. I don't know if it's real. There's no others. There's no white walkers. There's no giants. There's no children of the forest. These things are all fake. It's all made up by foolish country folk. It's almost always maesters that that say this kind of stuff. Um, and it's it's it tends to be wrong unless you're talking about Septon Barth, who actually was not obviously a maester himself. He was a Septon. But that's basically the running joke within the story that the maesters, whenever they say something about the higher mysteries, they are wrong, except for Eamon and and um and apparently Marwin or Marwin believes himself to be right all the time. So that's the basics of the Maester conspiracy. They think uh, people that believe in this theory believe that they are behind Summerhall. They believe they engineered the Dance of the Dragons and the um, and conflicts between family members in order to essentially get the, the Targaryens to kill each other and remove them from the from the board. Like maybe they were poisoning the dragons. Maybe they were learning how to kill them and they gave the knowledge to the crowd during the dance that stormed the dragon pit and stabbed them. All these other kind of things. Uh, it is it is quite it's quite a white, wide ranging conspiracy. And then we get a uh, supporting one from Barbary Dustin or Babs, as I like to call her. Uh, this is what she said. As Maester Medrick went to one ear, the whisper in Bolton's ear, 
Lady Ma- Lady Dustin's mouth twisted in distaste. If I were a queen, the first thing I'd do is kill all those gray rats. They scurry everywhere, living on the leavings of the lords, chittering to one another, whispering in the ears of their masters. But who are the masters and who are the servants, truly? Every great lord has his maester. Every lesser lord aspires to, aspires to one. If they do not have a maester, it is taken to mean you are of such little consequence. The gray rats read and write our letters, even for such lords as cannot read themselves. Who could say for certain they are not twisting the words for their own ends? What good are they, I ask you? So that's basically the other part of the Maester Conspiracy. Uh, the quotes from Archmaester Marwin. Um, my thing to say there was a super chat for $50. I don't see that. Um, maybe oh, there goes another one. These are these must be from last week. This is such a weird technology day. So now Streamlabs is just replaying old super chats and saying they are happening now. Okay. Um, yeah, there's more leash. You didn't do one today. All right. So just ignore this for a little bit. Apparently, Streamlabs is having is having a day. Um, so Basically, my perspective on the maester conspiracy is, well, like not obviously can't be all maesters, right? We meet quite a lot of maesters within the story. We see inside of their minds um, like like Crescent. We hear a lot from Eamon and Lewin. Um, yeah, ignore ignore those. Th- these are these are last week. These are from the last live stream. I don't know what's going on. Um, we hear from these characters. And if there's a wide ranging maester conspiracy to influence politics and guide the world the way they want and to destroy magic, like all the other maesters we've met are not in on it, basically. Um, That doesn't mean, though, that maesters do not have ulterior motives. That doesn't mean that they're not trying to make things happen that suit their needs or that suit the needs of what they think the realm needs. Like, for instance, um, Grand Maester Pycelle is a great example of a maester that is really pushing the ideas of his vows in ways that help him. Um, he really wants to help the Lannisters. He really wants to help Iwin Lannister. Um, there's also a bit of a conspiracy within White Harbor. Uh, what's his name? Wyman Manderly thinks he knows that his maester used to be a Lannister of Lannisport. And he's kind of saying like, hmm, maybe he's uh, working against me. Maybe he's working for he's working for uh, for the Lannisters in some way. Very well could be true that there are individual maesters who are doing the whole thing. But again, if there's like a secret cabal within the Citadel of people trying to make like magic go away and kill all the dragons or something like that, they're doing quite a job of keeping out the Archmaester of the Higher Mysteries, especially when we know the guy has a glass candle. Wow, this is this is just going nuts over here in the corner. <laughs> um. A lot of them just sort of get wrapped up in their own lives. They get wrapped up in the business of running the castle, knowing the children, um, helping out with helping their lords and all these kind of things. Like quite a lot of them barely have time for anything other than their studies. So the idea that like they're all in on it, all the gray rats are doing this sort of thing or Marwin's kind of conspiracy. um, (laughs) Let me let me turn off the alert box. Okay. So hopefully that will stop those from going off. Oh, uh, thank you for the $10, Amanda. She sent a pair that is flying like Superman. Adorable. Thank you for the super sticker. We're just going to we're going to let the alert box have a break for a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- this is one of those things that happens with uh, people who are in real life conspiracy theories. They think that everybody that thinks the opposite of what they do are in on it and they're all in on it and they all have the secret agenda that they're um, that are. Uh, that are trying to influence the world. And if you can just crack the inner circle, then you can expose the whole thing. 
like this is a large part of like QAnon. This is a large part of um, like flat earth theories or um, all these other kind of ones. It's it's very clear what George is referencing here by having Marwin talk this way and Barbary Dustin. My perspective on the on the Maestro conspiracy, at least from Marwin's perspective, is that uh, Marwin mistakenly attributes the dislike that other Maesters have of him personally and then kind of uses that to be like, well, it's my it's my ideas they hate when it's quite clear that Marwin um, is trying to present himself as a rebel, that he uh, interacts with people that they don't. He acts in a way that they don't, that he he is deliberately trying to be a provocateur. So it can both be true that the other maesters don't really like Marwin because he's kind of a dick, but also the fact that um, they don't like his ideas because he's not really convincing them of anything. The whole point of the <laughs> of the maesters themselves is that they're supposed to be like the scientists and the per- and the professors of their world. These are people who are skeptical by by nature. These are people who require large amount of evidence to believe anything. That's sort of the nature of scholarship. You have to prove it to them. And it seems pretty clear that Marwin is not convincing the other maesters of his theories. Therefore, he's he's conflating the two of them, that it's he's a dangerous character, that they hate him, that they can't let him rise high. But then they make him an archmaester. It's 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 quite clear they're elevating him in spite of not liking him because he's a he's a has a high quality mind. So um I, I, that's my perspective, basically, on the on the Maester conspiracy. Marwin is mistaking just like dislike of his personality, his demeanor, his dress, all these kind of things. The way he wants to pres- present himself as an outsider is being reflected in the way the Maesters perceive him. So, yeah, um, there's also the idea that um, Barbary Dustin's rant against the Maesters. Part of it is um, influence. She says this during her speeches to Theon that part of the reason she doesn't like the Maesters is that she thinks the Maesters kept her from marrying Brandon Stark, the dead Brandon Stark, the one that told the Rhaegar to come out and die, and that she's kind of held a grudge ever since then. Like Lady Dustin is a woman that knows how to hold a grudge. She's still mad at Ned Stark for not bringing back the bones in the, the bones of her husband and leaving them in Dorne. Uh, she wants to deny him being buried in Winterfell because he didn't bring back a giant pile of bones to the north. So these are people that really hold grudges and take them personally. So I, I'm not saying that there haven't been maesters that don't didn't like dragons and that they would have been happy if they were dead or that um, are not big fans of magic. It's just that the sources that people use for these, the quotes they come from, it's really important to keep in mind who's saying them and why they're saying them. <clears throat> Sorry, if it, I'm I know the major conspiracy is relatively popular. Um, that's that's just kind of my take on it. There's no way they're all in on it. We know too many maesters that are not in on it and really take a second look at Marwin and Babs before you believe what they're saying. Although that doesn't mean they're that what they're saying is not true. It's just like be skeptical towards their claims, especially the context of which Marwin is saying it. Like a lot of these are being said in terms of Marwin saying to Sam, hey, man, don't go talk to any maesters. They'll kill you. It's like, all right, well, come on, then. Uh, let's see here. Oh, this is probably a good time to do some uh, some promo stuff. Um, I already I already announced that Jay Moray won the shirt last time from uh, hitting 200 likes. Um, so obviously, if you want to support me in the channel, you can go to patreon.com slash Joe Magician, where you can get access to the patron slack where a bunch of these questions that we're going to talk about 
uh, came from. You can get access to patron only content like the um, the outline I posted for everybody. You can also get access to patron only episodes. When I turn on memberships on YouTube, I'll probably upload them here, too. But the most recent one was an analysis of George R. R. Martin's most famous story. That's not a song of ice and fire, Sand Kings. Apparently, it was quite scary, according to uh, some that listened to it, because it's a horror story. Sand Kings is a horror story, but apparently also very good. There's other ones up there, like an analysis of Meat House Man. Uh, there's also a talk with Eliana of Girls Gone Canon about uh, cripples, bastards and broken things. So you get all those at the five dollar level. Um, further ones up, you get access to content early by by a day or two. Um, and I believe at the higher level, some of them are like you get to choose a topic for me to talk about. Like, for instance, if you look back at my corn streams, one of them is on House Baelish. I'm not a big fan of House Baelish, but one of my patrons, uh, Ramona Zanfir, she signed up for that level and she suggested it. So I ended up doing a live stream on. So that's a thing you can uh, get access to and also vote on future content, all that other kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 Kristen, there you are. (laughs) Kristen said it was very scary. It is a scary story. Sand Kings gave me nightmares for a few nights afterwards. So Um, so we have 202 watching, uh, 146 likes. We get to 150 likes. I will put on my wizard hat. 175 i'll put on my germ hat and uh i'm not really sure for what to do for 200 um i don't want to i don't know if i want to give away another shirt um we'll figure something out you guys slam the like button we'll figure it out um also if you want to uh donate to the stream obviously super chats are an option uh you can send them to paypal let me post the link there nope that is amanda's amanda's twitter thread do not give money to Amanda's twitter thread i don't think it will accept it um so if you want to support me in the stream, those are ways you can do it. Uh, you can also listen to the podcast version of these. I rip the video and stuff like that, and I put it up on the wit and wisdom of Joe Magician. Uh, you can get access to that basically anywhere you can find uh, podcast feeds, Apple podcasts, Spotify, all those other kind of things. Um, no, no new customer ratings or um, reviews from people. So if you do listen to this on the podcast feed, please uh, rate and um, write a little message telling me what you think about it. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yes, Meat House Man is a messed up story. Pear Shaped Man is also very is also very messed up. JT Soul. When I read uh, Pear Shaped Man, I thought about that one for a week straight. It is a terrifying one. I will never shave my head. My head is too weird and lumpy. For uh, it, not breaking any glasses this time. Um, ah, there we go. I do have a new hat on the way. It should be here uh, later this week. So get ready for that one. But thank you guys for slamming that like button. I'm sorry, though, that is now covering up my awesome hairdo. So that is a bummer. I'm going to be conceited for a second. So <laughs> I think that's all the promo stuff um, What we have coming up. Um, I, I have an upcoming theory about Lady Stoneheart and what she's going to try and do in The Winds of Winter. Like, what, where is this going? Like, why, why is she killing so many Freys? Where is George taking her story? What's going to happen there? I have that all written. I just have to um, I just have to record it and uh, do the quotes and animate all that stuff. But that is in process. That should be out uh, relatively soon. Uh, After that, there's going to be a video about Stannis, a promised thing for patrons um, where I don't just insult Stannis the whole time. I'm going to be talking about Stannis and Daenerys and comparing and contrasting the two of them because I have to. I have to make a video where I don't insult Stan. So that's how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to I'm going to try and have another video up before the end of the month. 
That one is a secret, though. I got something very special, something nobody else has. So I'm going to make a video about it after the after the Lady Stoneheart one. Get ready for that one. It's going to be um, going to be something. I can't tell you yet. It's a big secret. Oh, yes, that's true. Uh, Aaron says one of the patron benefits at the Slack level is you can help pick out new hats. I put up the, the listings of all the different hats I was thinking about buying and people helped me figure them out. So that's what we did. But I think that's it for promo stuff. Just, you know, slam that MF and like button. So now we're going to get to another part of Marwin that's fairly important. That is the uh, glass candles. <sighs> I don't like glass candles. I talked about this during the glass candles live stream. I don't like how George used them. I don't like how he introduced them. I don't like the effects they have. I, I think I think the story would be better without them, but they are in the story. So we kind of have to talk about it, uh, especially Marwin, when glass candles are such a big part of his story so far. So if in a feast for crows, when Sam meets Marwin, essentially what happens is Sam goes to the Citadel. He tries to get in to see the Seneschal. Sorella Sand, or Laris, as she's known, comes down to the, to the entrance hall of the Citadel and grabs Sam and brings him up to Marwyn. And they go through all the different things that Sam has known. And one of the things that's very curious, and this is hinted about in the Feast for Crows prologue, is that Marwyn has somehow managed to light one of the glass candles. Previously, that has been impossible for quite a long time. And it's part of the the entrance to the Citadel, basically, that when you become a full maester, you have to spend um, one night all night in a vault with a glass candle and try to light it. Obviously, it hasn't worked for a long time. So most of the maesters essentially take it as a message that like there are the higher mysteries. There's always something more to, to try and reach for. There's always things out there you don't know. But as it turns out, no, you can just light a glass candle and Marwin the mage did it. Um, and he goes on to say that Marwin has been using the glass candle the whole time to watch Sam and Eamon's journey from the wall to Old Town, which is creepy. So Marwin's a Marwin's a peeper. He's peeping on Sam. That means he saw fat, fat pink mast. Think about that, guys. Archmaster Marwin saw the fat pink mast through his glass candle, <laughs> uh, which would probably be the primary use of glass candles if they were widespread. It would be... Um, per spying on people yeah so he's been watching the whole way uh sam goes on to ask what feeds the glass candle how does it work this is the quote from marwin he says what feeds a dragon's fire marwin seated himself upon a stool all valyrian sorcery was rooted in blood or fire the sorcerers of the freehold could see their way across mountains seas and deserts with one of these glass candles they could enter a man's dreams and give him visions Ooh. and speak to one another half a world apart seated before their candles do you think that might be useful slayer god marwin's such a dick um such it's like a simple question it's like how does this work and marwin's like oh sam you don't get it you're an idiot let me explain it to you like you're a little baby and it's like god he sucks he sucks as a person he just attacks everybody no wonder people don't like him in the citadel getting talked down to you like that it would it's just like such a terrible thing from somebody that's like ostensibly a teacher that's the job of the archmaesters you're supposed to instruct new pupils and this is how he reacts to like a simple question how does this work uh and there's also hints within previous chapters within a feast for crows that yes you can see that marwin has been spying on aemon uh this is a quote from when aemon was dying this is what sam says he says I, he spoke of dreams and never main never named the dreamer of a glass candle that could not be lit and eggs that would not hatch. He said the Sphinx was the riddle, not the Riddler, 
whatever that meant. So it's quite clear that he spoke of dreams and never named the dreamer of the glass candle to be lit and the eggs that would not hatch. Um, it appears that a- this is Eamon's perception of Marwin essentially using the glass candle to, to try and get into his mind as he's dying, essentially trying to, um, to like extract all the knowledge he can. You can also possibly see this in the way that Marwin describes how they how they can be used. They say you can enter a man's dreams and give him visions. So one of the things you have to go back to and think about is like, well, was it, was it Eamon's idea that he has to go to the Citadel or was it Marwin's? Um, was he was he driving Eamon to leave the wall in order to come to him personally? It seems like it because Marwin, everything Marwin wants arrives with Sam including the books and the knowledge of what Eamon knew and all these things. It seems to be all coming up Marwin. So also the idea that the, he said the Sphinx was the riddle, not the Riddler. Um, it's hard not to overlook the fact that Sorella Sand or Laris, her nickname is a Sphinx. So it could have been essentially Marwin trying to give Eamon like, adv- like a vision of what's to come. It's like, look for the Sphinx. Although there's other ways to look at this. Um, Valyrian sphinxes are a common thing. I don't know. It's it's all nonsense, but I think it's pretty clear that a lot of things that Eamon is saying as he's dying is in reference to Marwin probably messing with his head. Yes, Julie, Beth, that's the evidence that Eamon knew Marwin was sneaking into his dreams then. Yeah, that's right. Um, go back and read these and talk about these. We- look at these weird phrases, and it's pretty clear it's a glass candle messing with his brain. Um, Guilty Undertaker says, can you only contact certain people with a glass candle? We never see Marwin try to con- contact Sam directly. Um, I don't know if there's any limit on who you can use the glass candle to spy on. That has not, that hasn't really been established. Uh, but there is a problem that you cannot be in all rooms at all times with a glass candle. You can see across the world, you can see into some of these dreams, but it's one at a time. And you have to pick the right time to see something interesting. Um, hang on. I think there was a question about this. Did I miss one? I think I missed one. Hang on a second. I think I missed one from Amanda. Hang on a second here. I did miss one. Hang on a second. Uh, so this is from Amanda or Crowfood's daughter. She says, uh, Marwin has a glass candle and has been to a shy. Quaith has a glass candle and has been to a shy. Same with Euron. People speculate they might be in communication with each other. What are your thoughts? So Marwin definitively says during this chapter that you can use a glass candle to talk to somebody else that has one and essentially you can like FaceTime them. I'm guessing that's kind of the idea here. So Quaith seems to have a glass candle in uh, Karth. It's been suggested that Euron has a glass candle to explain his movements, especially how he shows up at um, the Iron Islands the day after Balon's death. So uh, some have speculated that that's how he knew it was happening. Although he could have worked it out ahead of time with Jack and on like on this day, you will kill Balon. But a glass candle also fills that. Um, so what are my thoughts on this? I My thoughts on this are I continue to not like glass candles and I continue to not like the the connections and the the rethinking of so many plots and interactions based on how they seem to affect things. Um, if Quaith definitely seems to have access to a glass candle, so it's very possible that um that Marwin and Quaith have essentially called each other, but like coordination between them, what kind of information is packing passing back and forth, that's kind of unknown. Uh, because Marwin takes quite a lot of knowledge from Sam before he decides he's gonna go to Daenerys. It's not like he's already ready to go. Um, and if he was in constant contact with Quaith, you'd think that would be like 
oh well of course well i'm just gonna i'm essentially just waiting for these books and aiming them getting the hell out of here no he he needed a little bit of convincing so um i don't know it's it's hard to say like this is where a lot of the um the conspiracies grow up around marwin is when you looked at connections like these like Quaith to marwin and then marwin to mary mas door all the way that all these characters are circling around daenerys is it like on purpose is it accidental what is george doing with this uh i don't know i would have to see i would have to see some pretty solid evidence basically that quaith and marwin have ever even talked to each other never mind that they are like in some kind of coordination the same for euron um i don't even know if euron has a glass candle although there is a suggestion that he's Urathon nightwalker that's a part of the um the connections between them so i think if that's true it'll probably be revealed in the winds of winter any kind of connection between them but thank you for the question <laughs> uh my skeptical nature comes out as as it often does uh oh 25 super chat from morally just a show of love and support for all the fabulous content and live streams you are the best no oh thank you more no you are the best thank you for that very generous appreciate it um oh follow-up question here from julie best styles uh how clear is communication via glass candle is more like Melisandre's understanding of the flames. We don't really know. We haven't seen anybody use it. When we see Quaith contacting Daenerys, um, it's it's a very strange connection. Sometimes Quaith actually like shows up physically and then disappears. But other times she appears as like a face among the stars and it's like speaks booming like a god from the sky. So it's... um. I would guess the one where when Danny's in um, what's the city Astapor when Quaith appears in her cabin and disappears. That's that might be how glass candles work, how they see each other, but they would have to know each other or want to talk to each other. Essentially, I guess I'm guessing you can't just like appear wherever a glass candle is like the other person maybe has to like pick up the phone basically. Marwin's such a dick that maybe Quaith doesn't pick up from him <laughs> or Euron. Um, although this is a problem in Lord of the Rings with the Palantiri that when somebody has one, they can see through all the others and you basically have to keep it covered to stop them. It may be a similar idea since George is essentially making his glass candles as a um, as a take on the Palantir themselves. So it could be something like that. But again, this is something that uh, we don't really know. You can infer from Quaith and Danny's interactions. That's what it's like. But maybe in the winds of winter, Sam will use a glass candle and we'll see exactly how it works. But we are not there yet. Um, here. Oh, Eric Ferg, uh, He asked, how do you comparatively obsess Lady Dustin's conspiracies versus those of Marwin? I kind of addressed that one already. Um, but basically, yeah, uh, it seems like Marwin's distrust of the maesters is very different from Barbary Dustin's. But a natural skepticism of people in power is basically the idea behind both of them. It's not a bad thing to be skeptical that the maesters and particularly when you look at people like Pycelle, they may have their own agendas. But the idea of like a massive conspiracy of maesters seems um, seems like an enticing idea, one that's fun to play with, but probably not one that's true. I mean, we've seen from too many maesters. We have heard from too many of them. And it, they are so different and they care about so many very different things that it would be hard for me to believe that they all essentially like have like a dark mark on their arm that is giving them instructions on how they need to shape the world politics or something like that. That uh, that seems a little bit a little bit off the chain, as it were. New glass candle who this. Yeah, basically so they have to have to pick up the phone, guys have to pick up the glass candle. <laughs> 
Um, do glass candles have data limits? Interesting. Interesting. Are there overage charges if you overuse it? Hmm. A good question for what Valerian society was like, but also they like where they, they used to be common and now they are rare, kind of like Valerian steel uh, swords and stuff like that. That was, That's an interesting question. Like did they essentially like use them kind of like a like a sci fi fantasy mixture where basically all the Valerians like you can imagine that in all the Valerian colonies, they had glass candles and that the um, probably protected by the governors or the triarchs or whatever. And they use that to connect with the freehold, that kind of thing. Oh, uh, Gazel uh, Rastegard says, I get accepted to do a PhD program in the U.S., moving to the USA from Iran. Uh, congratulations. We'll be glad to have you join the uh, join the American version of the Citadel and um, uh, forage your Valyrian steel links, as it were. <laughs> Don't be like Marwin, though. Marwin's a dick. Uh, Mormont Bear says, do you think Morin, uh, Marwin tried to tried other spells once the glass candles started burning definitely marwin i'm sure has been trying all of the magic since uh the dragons were hatched and his glass candles started uh started burning essentially mace yeah maester uh gazal i hope i'm I hope i'm pronouncing that right if i'm wrong uh please correct me i will try and get it right oh we're only three likes away from my turtle hat all right slam that mf and like button uh, remember, we're going to be going over today because I fucked up the beginning of the stream twice and broke some glasses. So uh, we won't be ending at exactly four. We'll be going over a little bit. Um, also, does anyone know if Rio Westeros is streaming today? I want to plug them if they are. Um, I was a little <laughs> a little stressed before the start of the stream, so I didn't have time to get everything done. I wanted to. <laughs> so, OK, so let's go more back into the glass candles um how they're being used what is marwin doing with them um <clears throat> we can assume that marwin has not just been uh, spying on sam and aemon that it's very likely that he's probably been spying on the other maesters of the citadel maybe um king's landing itself possibly daenerys so the idea one of the more enticing things about marwin as a character is the exist oh okay turtle hat time <laughs> let me make sure this is not covered in glass oh Yep, there was some glass on it. <laughs> there we go. Got my germ turtle hat going. If only I could grow a shitty beard just like George. Did I say that out loud? Yeah, George does not have a great beard. Um, so yeah, what what is he? What has he been doing with it other than just spying on Sam and Eamon? How will that affect the story going forwards? What information has he gathered from secret sources that he may be passing on to Daenerys when he reaches her? Uh, these are all open questions. And this is one of the things that actually kind of supports his belief in like maester conspiracies, basically, is that if he can see into their minds, if he can see into their dreams, then maybe he does know things about their intentions or the individual maester, archmaester uh, intentions that other people aren't privy to. So that is definitely something for uh, that um, Marwin may be able to use it for. Like, has he seen into the heart of winter? Has he looked? Has he checked on the others? Was he watching when uh, the attack on the fist of the first men happened? Did he see Stannis saving the wildlings? Like how far he can see in the world is kind of interesting. Um, but there's also there's an important point here about, again, going back to the idea of Marwin being a conspiracy theorist and his way of seeing um, daggers in the dark all around him all the time. And that is the idea that. Just because he can see them, okay, more centric. There we go. Just as he can see things, and just because he's privy to conversations and stuff like that, does not mean that he's interpreting them correctly. 
this is a big thing when you're talking about um, popular conspiracy theories like, um, oh God, what are they? Like uh, flat earth conspiracies, um, like 5G conspiracies, uh, cloud seeding or whatever it's called. Uh, basically anything that's on Infowars, I guess. Um, a lot of these things is it's not that the evidence is unknowable to the people that believe in the conspiracy theories. Like it's fairly obvious from little research and like minor experiments that of course the earth is round. And of course we don't live on a flat earth and there's not a giant ice wall at the poles or anything like that, but that doesn't really deter them from essentially believing in these things. And by the same token, just because Marwin has the ability to see in rooms he shouldn't be able to does not mean he's interpreting that information correctly or even rationally. A lot of his speech already has shown us that he is actually quite irrational, that he takes the dislike of him very personally, um, that he sees conspiracy and he sees poison, and that he sees hate for and like misattributes dislike of his personality for total dislike of magic in general. I mean, but it's again, going back to it, it's like, if the Citadel really didn't want any magic, if they didn't want to know dragons and all these things, there wouldn't be a thousand books by pictures about dragons and magic. They wouldn't have an Archmaster of the Higher Mysteries. They wouldn't give out the Valyrian Steel links. So, um, yeah, it's it's one of those things that ju and this kind of feeds into quite quite a lot of readers take Marwin seriously and why they tend to believe the Maester conspiracy is because they go, well, he is a glass candle. Therefore, he knows things he's not supposed to. Therefore, he's probably um, he's probably right about all these things. That's not necessarily true. That's that's even a problem within the POV structure where um, a lot of times you can trust what the characters are seeing and hearing and experiencing, but not believing the way they interpret the things that are happening. Um, this is a constant thing with Tyrion, where like the evidence for who tried to get him killed at the Blackwater most likely points to um, Joffrey, but he, he's interpreting it as being Cersei because he has a problem with Cersei in particular, and he asks for Varys's help on finding it and all these kind of things. It's like, it's the same kind of thing here with Marwin. He has more knowledge than usual. He has the ability to see in the conversations in rooms he's not supposed to. It doesn't mean he's interpreting them correctly. <laughs> oh, God, people. <laughs> I'm sorry for mentioning Flat Earth. That was a mistake. Um... So I'm going to do my uh, section here on the winds of winter, and then I'll answer a bunch of questions that we have uh, from patrons and from Twitter and YouTube. And also, um, what do you guys have in the chat? So this is all just like background, I guess, from Marwin. As these streams tend to go, I do a lot of background, understanding the characters themselves, um, doing some like armchair psychology on them and understanding who and what they are before we talk about where they're going into the future of the books. So. Let's do it for Marwin. Where is Archmaester Marwin going in the Winds of Winter? Well, at the end of A Feast for Crows, he disappears from the narrative. Uh, he jumps on the cinnamon wind, the boat that Sam arrived to Old Town on, and essentially just fucks off to go find Daenerys. Um, he wants to go to Essos. He wants to be her personal maester. He's essentially taking Aemon's plan when he's saying, when Aemon was saying, like, I should have gone to her. She needs to be guided. She needs somebody to help her. Marwin's like, I'll do that. I'll be that guy. <laughs> um, so that that's his plan as far as we know. That's what he tells Sam. 
He also tells Sam to train, train to be a maester because he may have to go back to the wall to help with the oncoming of the others. So obviously Marwin believes Maester Eamon that the others have returned. They're attacking the wall, that a prophesized hero is necessary. The prince that was promised has to arrive. They need to find Azora High and Lightbringer and all these things. And Marwin has jumped onto the Danny train. He's like, it's her. I'm going to go help her. So first problem here. <laughs> he has to actually be able to find Daenerys. That's going to be a big problem in the Winds of Winter. Um, there's definite suggestions she's going to head back to Marine for the Battle of Fire, but there's also been suggestions that she's going to take a detour to Vase Dothraki at some point and unite the Dothraki. The show did maybe a very abridged version of this, um, where she got captured and sent back to the Dush Kaleen. She ended up burning the calls and leading the entire Dothraki nation. Something like that may happen. But yeah, she also has to go back to Marine. Either way, these present a lot of problems for Archmaester Marwyn getting there. He's now on the Cinnamon Wind. He's on a, a summer islander swan ship. The problem being the entire route from Old Town all the way to Marine is super treacherous. Uh, when Sam was journeying to Old Town from Bravos. They almost got boarded a number of times. Uh, there's Ironborn all over the place. They've been raiding and taking every small island um, in the reach that they can. We know that Euron took the Shield Islands. He's planning to do more. He may sack Old Town. That presents a big problem, and we know the Red Wine Fleet is not there to stop anything. So it's going to be a miracle if Marwyn can make it even out of Westeros at this point. It was actually, I believe, the Dornish that um did amanda's super chat to show up all right cool cool you're having a good one uh stream labs <laughs> you're just having a real chill day out there um the dornish came out and tried to board the cinnamon win before they may try it again beyond that we know that through the step zones the normal route going west to east that's now controlled by uh orane waters and his pirate fleet so that's a big problem for marwin he's gonna have to get by them beyond that there's also the Golden Company that is going east to west. Um, presumably, Marwin made it through because he didn't show up in the um, John Connington chapters. They didn't mention they caught a maester. So I guess he evaded that one. But then there's, there's another problem. He then has to get past the, the Volunteed fleet and the blockade of Marine and the Carthine fleet. So all these things are in the way of Marwin even making it to Slaver's Bay, to Daenerys, if she's even there which we're not sure when she's going to make it back there. Um, for instance, we know that Makoro had similar problems where, uh, and Tyrion had similar problems where there's pirates all over the place. So not going to be a good time for him to get there. Um, the other issue for what Marwin will do in the Winds of Winter is how exactly is he going to endear himself to Daenerys? He doesn't know her in any way. He might have insights into her mind from the glass candles, but that's not the same as convincing her to make you a part of her inner council which is what marwin's trying to do and it will be it'll become kind of challenging when you're thinking about who marwin is and in what way that he's gonna make himself useful so many people think that Tyrion is going to find his way into daenerys's inner court so that's basically he's got dragons on lockdown uh, Tyrion is the dragon expert in world howden halfmaster had him writing down everything he knew about them okay so marwin's not exactly better in that way um, what does he know that Tyrion doesn't or that his other counselors don't? And it's mostly, um, it's basically like prophecy and glass candle stuff. Uh, he can basically pretend to be Aemon 
not like literally, obviously he can't pretend to be Aemon Targaryen, but he can use his knowledge, all the things he was writing about, all the things that Sam told him, and essentially make the case to Daenerys that she's the the prince that was promised. She is Azor Ahai come again, much like uh, much like uh, Volantis believes. That's one thing he can be useful for. And there's also um, a bit of... There may be spots opening up in Danny's organization. Um, there may be some of her inner council that are dying during the Battle of Fire. Barristan the Bold seems on the on the butcher's block, as it were. He may not make it out of the Battle of Fire. Or Barry Turncloak. Not a popular theory, but possible. There's also Skahas. There's no there's no um, certainty he's going to make it through the Battle of Fire. Um, <sighs> Jorah is probably going to try and make his way back into her inner circle as well. So it's it's a crowded group that Barman's going to have to break into. And actually, Egret Targaryen in the chat brings up a great point that she already Daenerys already knows the name Marwyn, and it's from Miri Majdor. She explained that her knowledge of healing and her common tongue came from Marwyn, Archmaester Marwyn. So when he shows up, he's going to be working against the fact that Daenerys did not learn any kind of lesson from Miriam Azor and instead views her as an enormous traitor that killed her husband and her child. That's not going to go well for Marwyn. <laughs> that's that's really not going to go well. Um, the main things he has in his favor, though, is that on board the Simon Wind, um, he has all these rare books from Castle Black about Valyrians, about dragons, about magic and all this stuff that he got from Aemon. He has his own books, presumably. But he also has Eamon's body. So maybe that in some way will endear him to her. I don't really know. Would that work on you guys? If somebody showed up with a cask of rum filled with like your great great uncle, would you be like, oh, hey, thank you. Thank you for delivering my dead my dead relative to me. High five. Welcome to my inner council. I don't know. <laughs> that seems like a stretch to me. Um, I think a clever person could make the case that how do we know that you didn't kill Maester Eamon and steal all of his stuff? That will be that'll be a problem for uh, for Archmaester Marwyn. Uh, do we know if Marwyn can glamour? No, we don't know if he can. He may have tried, but I don't remember him having any jewels, which is usually how you do it. Um, uh, will Moss says a Westerosi maester will be attractive woman one to set up a rival Westerosi court though every uh, Westerosi noble and royal court has a maester that is the other main thing is that he has a wealth of general knowledge but so does Tyrion so it's, if anything there's likely going to be some kind of um, rivalry between Tyrion and Marwyn they're both going to try to fill the same roles for Daenerys in terms of Knowledge base, knowledge of Westerosi politics, general knowledge, all these other kind of things. <laughs> so it's really it's really going to be interesting to see how those characters interact. And I'm pretty sure Tyrion's going to see it that way, that he's going to look at Marwyn and say, if I have to remain in Danny's good graces, I'm going to have to beat Marwyn, um, especially with the the different route Tyrion has taken in his life at this point. Um, the other thing that Marwyn could do that is very interesting is that he does know how to light glass candles and he can use them, which are amazingly valuable in terms of um, in terms of what they can do. The same speech that he gave to Sam, he could give to Danny. He's like, look, we can use glass candles to see across the world. I could see into people's dreams. I definitely didn't look into yours, though, my queen. I totally didn't do that. Um, big problem there. He left behind his glass candle. He left behind his glass candle in the Citadel. It is still burning in his 
in his quarters when he leaves to go on the cinnamon wind. So I'm not even sure if he can use that to endear him, endear himself to her. He would have to find a glass candle around Danny and then light it and use it in order to prove his worth. Um, so that would be it's it's going to be a real challenge for Marwin to not get immediately killed by Daenerys as um, for his connections to Miri for being uh, useless for maybe using a glass candle again to her mind. Like, and what does Quaithe think about this? Surely she'll be aware that another guy with a glass candle just showed up. Will Quaithe warn Danny about her? Like, maybe <laughs> she very well could. Marwin's not a liked guy. Um, but there's also there's one other secret thing that Marwin may be able to give Daenerys that nobody else can. And no, get your minds out of the gutters, Danny Erdy. Never mind. I'm going to let that thought go. Um, there is a theory out there that Marwin the Mage may have known Rhaegar Targaryen. So we're going to go through this quickly. The um, Rhaegar, as we talked about in the last stream, had a lot, a lot of knowledge and love of books and love of scrolls and spent all of his time reading them, which is very similar to the behavior we see from Roderick the Reader and also from Archmaester Marwin. And it's said that Marwin found three pages of signs importance. And that is in particular a Targaryen heirloom, basically. Now, if you remember the story of how Rhaegar decided he was the prince I was promised when he started writing aim and they started interacting with each other, it says that Rhaegar found something in his scrolls that he he read something and apparently had something to do with prophecy because Rhaegar suddenly became prophecy obsessed himself. Like, did Marwyn show Rhaegar these three pages? Um, it's been a theory for quite a long time. Well, actually, I don't know if it's been a theory for a, quite a long time, but I definitely I proposed it in one of my videos. But also um, but also other people have noted that there's a good chance that it signs importance, a lost copy of it, a lost few pages that convinced Rhaegar that he was the chosen one, that he was the prince that was promised. And it would be interesting if the fact that Marwyn found these two may link them together. Um, Sam Vimes says, Joe, when you finally tr transition to Gurum's physical lightness, will you transfer your soul into your body? I don't want to be George's second life. That ain't happening. Um, God help me now. Um, so that is a possible connection people have made between Rhaegar and Marwyn. But the other one is that we have no idea who Rhaegar's, um, who Rhaegar's maester was on Dragonstone. Uh, basically, when Dragonstone is cleared out from the Targaryens and Stannis takes it over, he has to bring Cresson with him because whoever was the maester there is no longer there. Whether they're dead or they got called back to the Citadel or they left, like it's kind of unclear. So there is definitely a, a place for Marwyn to know Rhaegar and may have been the uh, Dragonstone maester, which would make sense because of his extreme obsession with magic and dragons and Valyrian culture and all these other kind of things. It may be that perhaps that um, it's his eight year journey to a shy, although I don't think the timeline works. I think we'd have to establish when Miriam Asdor went to a shy, but it's certainly possible that Marwyn's journey to Ashai came after the fall of the Targaryens, that he left Dragonstone and that he went to Ashai and then came back and became the Archmaester after being Rhaegar's personal maester for quite a lot of years. Um, so if if this theory is true, if there is a um, if there's definitely a connection between Rhaegar and Marwyn, 
That is something that he could offer Daenerys that nobody else has. Personal knowledge of what he was like, personal knowledge of um, his interest in prophecy, the knowledge of dragons and what he was trying to do and all these other kind of things. Um, so there's there's a very real possibility that if George wants to connect those dots, he definitely could make it so that the reason that Marwin found three pages of signs importance is because Rhaegar did or they found it together and then Marwin published it. That would make a lot of sense uh, in terms of like, but where does that get him for Daenerys's future and prophecy and all these things? It's um, it's 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 really unclear where Marwin is going in the Winds Winter. Let's say he makes it to Danny. Let's say he makes it to be her personal maester. What is he going to encourage her to do? What is he going to encourage her to become? Now, clearly, he um, he has a very sour view of prophecy. Uh, I have the quote here. Um, ah, born amid salt and smoke beneath a bleeding star. I know the prophecy. Marwin turned his head and spot, spat a glob of red phlegm onto the floor. Not that I would trust it. Gorging of old gifts once wrote that a prophecy is like a treacherous woman. She takes your member in her mouth and you moan with pleasure of it and think how sweet, how fine, how good this is. And then her teeth snap shut and your moans turn to screams. This is the nature of prophecy to Gorgon. Prophecy will bite your prick off every time. He chewed a bit. Still. Alaris stepped up next to Sam. Amy would have gone to her if he had the strength. He wanted us to send her a maester to counsel her and protect her and fetch her home safely. Did he? Archmaester Marwin shrugged. Perhaps it's good that he died before he got to Old Town. Elsewise, the gray sheep might have had him killed. And that would have been that would have made the poor old dears wring their wrinkled hands. So it's clear that Marwin, if he reaches Daenerys, is that he has bought Aemon's assessment that Daenerys is the prince I was promised and that she needs to go to Westeros in order to fight the others. He's also got such a distrust of the maesters and the um, the power structures in Westeros that if you're looking for who among them, among Danny's potential counselors that may counsel her to essentially like burn it all down because they're all a bunch of assholes who are trying to kill you and bring down your everything about you. Marwin's the guy. Marwin's the guy that would say burn old town. Marwin's the guy that would say kill the maesters. I'm the only maester you need that kind of thing. Um, so that is definitely something to keep an eye out for. I mean, it's been largely suggested that Tyrion will be behind a lot of these, um, these pushes for Danny to, turn towards extreme violence in Westeros because he's so um, far gone after killing Shay and his father. But Marwin very much too is uh, the kind of character that will want to encourage Daenerys to become a dragon lord of old, to embrace uh, Valyrian sorcery and the dragons and fire and blood and all these things. Like that's kind of what he's about. So that could not go good. <laughs> Uh, he may be a very negative impact on Daenerys as a person uh, in terms of if he will make it to through the winds of winter and to a dream of spring. I, I do have my doubts about this. Um, I am not sure that Daenerys won't instantly kill him by remembering his name from uh, from Miri Mazdor. I am not sure that he will outwit Tyrion because they're going to be competing for the same job, basically. Um, so, Yeah. It's not I don't think it's going to go good. And especially like what would his counseling be to Daenerys about young Griff? Well, Arwen very much believes she's the prophesized hero come again. He thinks that the dragon's marker is true, that she's the one that should rule. She's the one that will save the world. Well, she's going to tell him, tell her to basically like, yeah, fuck Griff. Who cares about young Griff? You're the you're the three heads of the dragon. You you are all we need. 
that's not going to go good. That's he's not going to be the kind of person that's going to preach um, understanding and cooperation. That's not who he is. And but if I was George, if I was writing Marwin's character going into the Winds of Winter and Dream of Spring, I would want him to make it far enough to meet Melisandre. And I would want him to meet Quaith before you kill him and definitely have a lot of interactions with Tyrion. Those are the characters that will be the most interesting, I think, to see how Marwyn will react to them. Um, also, Varys may try and kill him because Marwyn is uh, kind of the antithesis of everything Varys likes in the world. Varys hates magic, uh, all those other kind of things. So there's going to be a lot of people who have uh, their sights set on trying to take out Marwyn. But there's also the fact that George may use Marwin's physical strength in a sense. Um, you don't write a character who's like very strong, kind of like a pit fighter looking character. Somebody that's broken his nose. It's rumored he's beaten somebody to death with his bare hands. Somebody that knows the underworld. Somebody that knows like the Undercity and all these other kind of things and not really use that. So unless he just dies right away, Marwin will have a an interesting perspective within her camps, kind of like a... Uh, I don't know, maybe almost like a Davos kind of thing to Stannis, where he's the one that is uh, going into the places that her other counselors can't get to find things for her or to find information or figure out the truth. Like maybe Marwin's the one that unmasks the harpy. That would be interesting, especially if he had a glass candle. So, yeah, but I don't trust Marwin. He says, don't trust the maesters. Don't trust the gray sheep. Um, they're all out to get everybody. I don't trust Marwin. I don't trust him being around Daenerys and it could be part of George's plan to essentially to encourage Danny's um, uh, downturn into uh, tragedy. Uh, so let's I'm going to go through some questions here. That's kind of the end of my outline. Uh, take some questions from Patreon and from Twitter and YouTube and stuff like that. So you guys have permission now to at me, bro. You can uh, throw your questions at me. Anything I didn't cover, anything I skipped while I was talking because I can't always read the chat. Well, I'm doing the same thing. So, yeah, throw them in there. And let me let me see if I can run through these. Um, so this one's from Eric Ferg. He says, how did all the oddballs even end up at the Citadel? Even Lazy Leo. So this is from the Feast for Crows prologue. We have uh, Lazy Leo Tyrell. We have Pete the Pig's Boy. We have um, Alaris, otherwise known as Sorella Sand. Uh, we have, God, what are their other names? Hang on a second. Feast for Crows prologue. I just read it, but I I was having trouble remembering the names. Um, so there's Armin, and then there's Melander and Rune are some of the. Oh, okay. I um my earbuds are running low on battery. Interesting. <laughs> a woman's voice has started speaking in my ears. I was like, did I just open up a window? Can you guys hear that? No. Okay. Um. So how do these oddballs end up at the Citadel, especially Lazy Leo? So the Citadel is largely where. The the sons of uh, lords who don't look like they're going to be great rulers kind of get sent if they're bookish, if they are more into learning and reading, uh, perhaps if they are not into the ladies so much. Uh, the Citadel is largely a good dumping ground for them, um, for the sons that wouldn't make it at the Night's Watch. But it's also an important thing that it seems like there's quite a lot of large families especially those south of the neck that they do encourage um, over time members of their extended family to join the Citadel so they can have eyes and ears within the Citadel itself and Old Town and the, um, the politics around it with the Septons and all that other kind of thing. So that's one way. But the other way is that uh, quite a lot of 
uh, like bastards end up there. Quite a lot of sons of like hedge knights and such like Melander is the son of a knight, but not of a lord. So he was able to um, he was able to make his way to the Citadel. Um, it's a, it's also a way out of poverty for quite a lot of young people. It's kind of the same as it was in um, in medieval times for for uh, for priests and the like. It's it's another career path for unlanded sons, basically. But there's also quite clearly people like arm. I mean, people like Arwen and Pate um, who try and like work their way up from being common folk to having a real life, um, a life above poverty, I guess, is the right way of saying it. Lazy Leo definitely seems to be, though, the, the other side of the coin, the, the lordly son that is being put into the Citadel, probably, probably strategically and politically. So I would guess that's how they get there. Sam actually talks about in the Feast for Crows chapter that he should have gone to the Citadel instead of the Night's Watch. Uh, he should have essentially just like snuck off, joined under another name and just stay in the Citadel rather than going all the way to the Night's Watch. Um, so quite a lot of that kind of things, um, probably how people end up in the Citadel. It's also for people who are intellectually minded, but not super religious, basically. It's kind of like the secular version of the priesthood. Uh, thank you for the question, Eric. Uh, let's see here. So Jay Moray says, how would you feel about Marwyn origi originating in the Iron Islands and having something of a rivalry with Euron? That would be fascinating. I would love to see it. Um, the interactions of Euron and Marwyn would be really interesting, especially if they all have glass candles are like, are they opposites or are they working together? Like, I don't get the sense that Marwyn would be against Euron sacking Old Town after he left. So that would be something we don't we don't really get a sense of where Marwyn's from, though. Um, he certainly has the frame of just like a gigantic or like a very stocky, strong person. So um, maybe something like Clegane's. The only other Marwyn in the story is from the Vale, from House Belmore. So that's really all we got. Of the, um, the second part of his name, the Wind part, is kind of like Tywin. You see that name in the, uh, the Western Lands a lot. So maybe the Western Lands, maybe the Vale, maybe the Reach. But it's totally, it's unclear. He, he seems to be from nowhere. As far as this, as far as George is concerned, uh, let's see here. Uh, Adrian Bertrell says, so Marwin has never traveled to E.T. where the first empire is from. Uh, he may have gone to E.T. I mean, E.T.'s on the way to a shy, so he may have stopped off there. Uh, we we really only get one chapter of dialogue with him and the rest of it we know from reputation, other characters talking about him. So if he makes it to Daenerys and he talks about himself that may be something that he brings up, that he's traveled to E.T., he's traveled to a shy, that he's been to Lang, that he's been to all these amazing places and that he can offer worldly knowledge that she sorely needs. Um, that would be something. Uh, Kolnitsky says, how do we know Martin is an Iron Islander? We don't. I don't I have no real guess on where he's from. Um, there's also there's I just, I just don't think there's enough information on him. I don't think we have enough um, enough to go on. I mean, the fact that he's like short and stocky and strong and he's like seems to be lowborn. he could be from anywhere he doesn't have an accent that anyone picks up on so i guess probably not the north since it said that northerners have an accent he's not from dorn so maybe like the riverlands the vale the crown lands stormlands the reach i i guess kind of take your pick uh okay yes julie beth oddballs at the citadel third and fourth sons that kind of thing yep definitely um, also very true. Catherine Scully says they are outcasts from the family. Yes. Um, Randall the Vandal Tarly makes it clear that he will not send Sam to the Citadel because he thinks it would be, um, dishonorable to the family for Sam to be chained in the Citadel. 
Um, so it's the, which is interesting when you think about it, when Eamon got sent there, there's no sense of dishonor upon Eamon for joining. It may just be a Randall thing. Um, Guilty Undertaker says, since Oberyn was at the Citadel at one point, do you think him and Marwyn ever met? What would they make of each other? I think they definitely did meet. I think that's 100%. I think that's absolutely true that Marwyn and Oberyn met each other and that they were probably friends. They enjoyed the same kind of places. They enjoyed um, being off the beaten path, being kind of rebellious, doing their own thing. Like we hear... Like part of the thing with Oberyn is that he has so many um, bastard daughters is because he went he would go to like the undercity parts of wherever he went. And that's where Marwyn went. And also the fact that he's sheltering Alaris. I find it hard to believe that Marwyn doesn't know it's Sorella Sand. It would make a lot of sense if she's there because of a connection between Marwyn and Oberyn, that it's one friend making a um, doing a favor for another. Um so I would guess that. And this actually goes into Eric Krug's question. He says, what's up with some of the other sand snakes that burn down Old Town, even with their half-sister there? Mommy issues for Obara. This is the other part of it. One of um, Oberyn's daughters is from Old Town. It's Obara Sand. Um, she was born to a sex worker in Old Town and ended up, I believe, killing herself. And for that reason, Obara is very, very serious about trying to sack and burn down Old Town. She may be too late. It looks like Euron's going to take care of that one before she can even get there. But I think it just kind of shows that the Sand Snakes are not so much like one army of assassins shoulder to shoulder doing what Oberyn wanted, that they have um, they have different they have different goals of what they want to do. Although if Obara wants to get into Old Town, she definitely has Sorella there in order to let her in. So I would um, that could be an interesting plot point going forwards. How do they interact how does Obar is Obar in contact with Sorella? Um, I believe Durant's comments about uh, about her is basically like, she, I don't know what her game is, but she, we're going to allow her to keep playing it. Um, yes. Yes, that's right. Um, I, I am definitely in the camp that Marwin is aware of who Sorella of who Aurelis um, is in Sorella Sand and that him and Oberyn probably did know each other and probably were friends within the Citadel. They seem like two peas in a pod. Um, Let's see here. Oh, let's grab one from uh, Patreon. Uh, Ramona Zamfir. She's asked, did Marwin cut Varys's manhood? And if so, will Varys have the opportunity in the books to serve him some revenge? So this is the idea that the sorcerer that essentially um, cut off Varys's uh, downstairs business is actually Marwin and that he did it as an experiment to try and talk to a um, to talk to some kind of gods. He's experimenting with spells. He's trying to test test out knowledge that um, that he gained. Yeah, a second. I have to take out my earbuds because they're about to die and they just yelled at me again. Sorry, this is a very weird stream. Um, so did Marwin do that to Varys? So this would have had to have been a long time ago because this happened when Varys was a child and Varys is, appears to be somewhere in his 30s or 40s or something like that in the books. And we don't know when Marwin traveled abroad, but I mean, there could be overlap there. That would make for an interesting uh, conflict if Marwin is with Daenerys coming to Westeros and Varys recognizes Marwin and how they would interact and how they would compete for her council and all those kind of things. Um, so that could be kind of interesting. Um, I don't think so, though. I mean, I think the only connection between them is that Marwin's called a mage. And that the guy that cut off Varys's uh, bits was a sorcerer. Uh, I don't, 
I don't really know. It um that would have to be a reveal going forwards. But certainly be an interesting one if you want if you wanted to make Marwin a bigger character within the story and have him have conflicts with other characters. That's definitely one you could do. Um, so yeah, uh, Adrian Birchall says I prefer the theory that Sorella was Shay. Um, that Shay was Sorella Sand. She's the younger. She's a pretty young Sand Snake. Um, I, I don't think that lines up with like the timeline or anything like that. Yeah, let me be says that would be extremely coincidental. But Stranger Things to happen in Westeros. Yeah, that's true. Extremely coincidental, but not a um, not a impossibility. We don't know a lot about Marwin, so those are a lot to George to uh, write in if he feels like it. Uh, let me scroll up and grab another question. Uh, Rosinante says, so Makoro, Marwin, and Tyrion will be vying to be Danny's advisor, each with individual strengths. Those interactions should be very interesting to read. Definitely. I think George is setting it up so that there's going to be these three characters essentially fighting amongst themselves in order to be Danny's primary advisor as she heads to Westeros and her insight into magic and prophecy and all these things. So that would be interesting uh, to see how that goes. Oh, did we hit 200 likes? Hey, thank you guys. Thanks everybody for slamming that like button. 221 watching, 205 likes. Oh, I got it. Okay. So I have to do something. For 200. Um, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll read you part of the upcoming theory of the um of the Lady Stoneheart thing. Let's see here. The working title. Oh, I'm not gonna tell you the working title. Um, let's see here. What can I read you without giving it away? <laughs> Um, I have to, I have to choose a chat, a paragraph I can read without giving it away what the theory is about. Um, problem is I mention it almost all the way throughout. So finding something I can say, um, ah, here we go. Okay. So here we go. This is a, um, uh, there's one, let me make sure I don't say anything. There's a, there's one other oddity to all this that comes directly back to Stoneheart's meeting with Bran of Tarth in the hollow weirwood caves. Brienne is introduced early on in A Feast for Crows to an odd fellow named Nimble Dick Crab, and one of his favorite stories is of the great hero Clarence Crab and his castle at the Whispers. Whispers is named for the strange sound the waves make crashing off the rocks beneath it, but Dick tells a different tale, a dark one of chopped off heads and necromancy. His wife was a woods witch. Whenever Sir Clarence killed a man, he'd fetch his head back home and his wife would kiss it on the lips and bring it back to life. Lords they were, and wizards and famous knights and pirates. One was King O'Duskendale. They gave old Crab good counsel. Being they just heads, they couldn't talk real loud, but they never shut up neither. When you're a head, talking's all you got to pass the day. So Crab's keep got named the Whispers. Still though, still is though, it's been a ruin for a thousand years. A lonely place, the Whispers. So a woods wish who kisses heads and brings them back to life so they can talk just like they were in the head museums in Futurama. Hmm. So that would be the uh, that is for 200 likes. That is a paragraph and a quote from my upcoming Lady Stoneheart video. So if you want to think about uh, how this could possibly fit together. You may understand what's coming or at least part of it. I hope you don't understand all of it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be that much fun. Oh, hey, Alicia Kinston. How's it going? A little AK-47 in the uh, in the chat. Uh, let's see. Let's scroll up. Uh, we're just going to take a few more. I'm sorry. Yeah, we had to go over at the beginning because I fucked up everything. <laughs> uh, Marwan could shed light on what knowledge Quaith alluded to by Daenerys going to a shy. Maybe give her pointers on taming her dragons. They'll make her an asset and a threat at once. That's true. Um, I just don't know the relationship between Quaith and Marwan. 
And it would be interesting if Marwin tries to get himself into Danny's camp by essentially like pulling back the curtain on Quaith and be like, you think she's trying to help you? I know Quaith. I know her from my time with the glass candles. She's been messing with your mind this whole time. Something like that. Uh, you could see that being a plot point. Um, yes, I mentioned Futurama in a theory video about a song of ice and fire because that's that's what I do. Um, yeah, Amanda, the theory is uh, I don't the Shay Sorello one doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, that's that's not something I give too much time to thinking about. Um, let's see here. Any other uh, last minute questions you have? I'm going to check my document, see if I missed any um covered that one i think i missed one from amanda hang on a second oh also one from gray waste tim um hang on a second uh so this was a question from patreon um gray waste tim says characters like quaith and melisandre both claim to be from a shy and marwin has visited city but miri mazdor stated the person who taught her blood magic was a blood mage from the shadowlands shadowlands are huge given the sh- the sheer size of a shy alone it would have a population of people living outside that one city yet we know next to nothing about them maybe the past meet the shadow doesn't mean just going to a shy or viewing it from glass candles but rather the broader regions of shadowlands themselves where the ghost grass grows and where demons and wild dragons still dwell according to rumors um not really a question there but yeah i think that's a good point that um there's a weird ashai cabal that's surrounding daenerys and it's very much could be that they're all um they're all in, they're all interconnected they're all working together to mess with daenerys but given what we know about a song of ice and fire i would guess that each one of these different figures from a shy probably knows each other but has different things they're trying to do um i would be interested if quaith knew miri mazdor i'd be interested if melisandre knows marwin and all the other different permutations of all these characters like how these coincidences wrapping up into a story Marwin's in a pretty good position to shed a light on a lot of them all at once uh, if he gets to meet Daenerys. But yeah, uh, good point that um, Georgia said that I don't think Danny's going to reach a shy, but it will be um, it'll be what is it? It'll be referenced a lot more that we may see it through Melisandre's um, memory in the Winds of Winter. Uh, let's see here. And uh, Rosie says, at what time do you think Marwin will arrive in Marine and how will it affect the mirror? And he's not. Uh, I kind of went over this earlier, but it's going to be really hard for Marwin to get to Marine. He's going to have to break through the Ironborn and the Miranese, I mean, and the Volantine and the Carthine fleets. It's going to be a war-torn hellscape. Marwin's a big, strong guy, but I mean, like he could just easily get stabbed by somebody in that kind of scenario. So I would guess that Marwin, if he still has any like use of a glass candle or any way of knowing where Daenerys is or where she's going to be, that um, he will try to arrive there maybe at the same time she does. Maybe he'll pull a Euron and show up like right as she comes back to the city, if at all. Although it would be interesting if he um, if he goes to find her on the way back from Vase Dothrock. That would be something. But I, I don't know. He's such a rough and tumble guy. He could pull off either one. Um, good question, though. Um, yeah, but Daenerys has to go back to Marine before the Miranese knot is untangled. And Marwyn's only going to make it more confusing. Ah, yes, the letter M. Wow, I don't think I ever realized how the tale of Clarence Crab parallels Lady Stoneheart. Kissing people, kissing dead people, bring them back to life. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a weird, funny story from uh, Nimble Dick, but I think it actually has narrative purpose. So looking forward to that. Um, is Quaith running a streaming channel from a shy? A Quaith plays. <laughs> That'd be kind of funny. Um, and the last one here. 
I don't think I answered one of these from Amanda. So, oh, okay. Yes, this is from uh, Mana or Crow Food's daughter. It says, if Marwin has a glass candle, is he able to have some foresight into the future as far as what Euron is up to? Lazy Leo is mentioning wonders and terrors and old powers awakening. Thoughts? Okay. So it's definitely on the table with a burning glass candle that Marwin could have knowledge of Euron and he could know what the Ironborn are up to. He could even know that the sack of Old Town is coming. It could, it could make a little bit of sense in the fact that he gets the hell out of Old Town real fast on the cinnamon wind. Like he leaves almost immediately. And we know that the Ironborn are raiding and attacking all over the reach at this point, And they're slowly getting closer to Old Town. Um, so it could be that Marwin just really needs to get to Daenerys right now. But it would also be interesting if he's reacting to the fact that he knows that the uh, the plan of the Ironborn is that they're going to come and sack Old Town, like the, many of the theories about Euron say he's going to try to do. Um, it gets more interesting if they both have um, glass candles. We don't know if Euron does. Obviously, Marwin does. He said that you can essentially call people that have them. So does that mean he's tried to talk to Euron? Does that mean Euron's tried to talk to him? And are they messing with each other's dreams? Like, we also know that Marwin probably has a point of connection with Roderick Harlaw. He's reading his book on lost books. So, and Roderick Harlaw is one of the Ironborn that tolerates their maesters. So there could be a connection there between them that maybe Harlaw is feeding information back to the Citadel. And from that, uh, Marwin has been deciding that he needs to spy on your own Greyjoy to figure out what the hell this guy is doing because Roderick is confused. Um, that would be kind of interesting. Although Lazy Leo is an interesting character because he knows some stuff. He knows a lot of stuff and he's kind of a gossip, but he kind of seems like an idiot. So it's hard to say. What he's repeating from Marwyn, that is true. Um, he also, when Sam goes up to Marwyn's chamber and he sees Leo on the uh, on the old glass candle, he basically says he's looking for naked women, I think. So who knows what he's up to? But yeah, I could definitely believe the idea that there's a mystical or non-mystical connection between Marwyn and Euron and that one way or another, <laughs> Marwyn's reacting to what Euron is doing. Um, he's such an out for himself guy that it would be totally in character for him to essentially leave the Citadel to burn while he runs off to find Daenerys because he doesn't give a shit about them anyway. He thinks they're gray sheep. He thinks they're wrong. He thinks they're trying to suppress knowledge of magic and dragons and all the cool things in the world. So I don't think he would really care either way if they died. Um, or at least that's how he talks to Sam. I don't know. He seems to have a pretty good life living at the Citadel. Um, yeah, peeping in the ladies section of Maiden Pool. That's Lazy Leo. Lazy Leo is a bad dude. Look out for him in the um the Winds of Winter, what he's going to get up to with Sam. Uh, the other interesting thing about Leo is that his father, I believe, is the captain of the Garden Old Town. So, yeah, that's going to make for some interesting thoughts. Um, I think that's about it, unless uh, you guys have anything. Le oh, Mike Hall says, I just missed that one. Sorry. Could Yon be entering uh, Aaron's dreams without a glass candle, or is that juice the warlock juice? Um, it, it's hard to say. It seems like from the House of the Undying that essentially how it works is when you take the the um, the shade of the evening. Essentially, what it does is it opens up your mind to be messed with by psychics, that uh, and it opens you up to kind of like the dream world that lives underneath the real one. 
And so it just kind of like opens the door of your mind and lets things in. I think that's the best way to explain it. Um, George has a thing about doorways. He's he wrote a, a pilot called Doorways. They feature very heavily. He loves the idea of someone stepping through a doorway and having it be like a magical world on the other side or like a mystical thing. So um, I'm guessing that's how he's imagining it. So when when Aaron and Euron are both tripping on Shay in the evening, is that a glass candle messing with them or is it the effects of the Shay of the evening or is Euron like mildly psychic or maybe quite psychic? If the idea that Bloodraven tried to contact him is true, um, it could be all of the above or none of the above. <sighs> Euron's an interesting character for that reason that it makes sense if he has a glass candle, but I don't think he needs it. But it could go either way. Um, fuck them great rats. <laughs> and that's Barbary Dustin. That's what Barbary Dustin said, Alicia. If you want to read some other stories about George that feature doorways to different realities and like that kind of thing. Um, doorways, his pilot is, is a good one. Uh, you could also read Into the Stone City or The Stone City. That's a good one. And The Lonely Songs of Laren Door also featured doors pretty um pretty significantly um oh thank you super chat here from julie beth styles thank you for another great stream giving me much food for thought and maybe decide it's time for another reread oh more rereads one day you'll catch up to aziz and his 25 rereads or something like that he's on at this point um i'll be back i think that's about it for today though been going for about two hours plus i have to cut off the first stuff where I, where I messed up everything. So that'll be fun. Um, Warlock Juice. Yeah, that's a good band name. Warlock Juice would also be a good uh, YouTube channel. You guys have my permission. Although I don't think it's mine to give. It's probably Amanda's to give. Um, yeah, so uh, maxed out about 230 people watching. We have 216 likes. Thank you to everybody that uh, donated through Super Chats and through PayPal. Um, so that's Ramona, uh, Julie Beth Styles. Maura Lee, Disputed Lands, History of Westeros. Uh, let me grab it on PayPal. Um, Amira C, uh, Amy Blackfire, Danny McKay. All you guys, thank you so much for donations, all this stuff. And obviously to my patrons and all your awesome questions. I'll be back next week. Uh, same time. I won't be here the week after I have to work. I found out it's a lot quicker than usual. I'm not really sure what's going on there. But um, so two weekends from now. I won't be streaming next one. I will. Um, thank you all for hanging out with me. I'm going to go give my voice a nice, a nice rest um, and chill out for a bit. And then I'll get working on the um, Lady Stoneheart thing. I have to record it and then figure out if I'm going to get somebody to um, do the quotes for me. I'm not really sure. We'll figure it out um, and clean up glass, clean up the broken glass that's behind me. So I have to go do that. Ah. <laughs> uh. Thank you guys again, and I will see you next week.